Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Just to update you, our subscriber numbers are approaching 1,000, and our views are getting close to 100,000. Thank you very much for watching and for providing comments to us. We watch for your comments, we read them, and we act on them. Please continue to tell your friends about the program, and whatever you do, hit subscribe. Once we hit 1,000 subscribers, we're going to move to what we call Tokyo on Fire 3.0. We're going to implement some improvements. We're listening to your comments. Some of the comments that you've provided to us are really great. So if you have any ideas, please share them with us. We will implement those to the degree that we can. Please continue to watch. See you soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is September 29th, 2016. The Prime Minister on Monday opened an extraordinary diet session that will go for 60 days. Michael, there's a lot on the agenda. We've only got 60 days to do it. It will end on the last day of November. Well, what we're looking at is a, a, a condensed session, but there are really only a few things that need to get done. What's really important in the session is TPP. Mm -hmm. Now, if you ask the op opposition, they'll say, there's no reason to be addressing this. It's trapped in the United States Congress. They have a presidential election in the United States. Let it go. We don't have to make a decision. But for the ruling party and for Mr. Abe, there's a, a lot invested in going through the motions of passing TPP, showing that Mr. Abe is not a prisoner of the traditional interest groups of Japan, particularly the farmers, and to have that done in it and the the possibly some of the enabling legislation as well mostly it's just getting the treaty through the house of reps right and you and and it only has to go through the house of reps under the japanese constitution treaties and the national budget are treated separately from other legislation in that they don't have to even be considered by the house of counselors though they will be once it's passed the house of reps a treaty or a budget is law. Okay. Uh, they go through the motions and they have other actions that take place, but for all intents and purposes, once that vote happens, TPP is on in Japan. Okay. So the diet deliberations are now in full swing. The upper house meets two days of the week. The lower house meets the other two days of the week. They have a one day off and they're deliberating these, these bills right now. Well, they're doing it in committee and they're going to be, they've only right now had the plenary sessions with First, the policy addressed by the Prime Minister for the extraordinary session, and then the responses and questions from the opposition. Right. And that has gone basically the way everyone has thought. There is, of course, a new team on in the DP. We have a new leader in Renho, the first uh, woman leader of a major party since Takako Doi right. with the socialists, and a secretary general, and, and a new yeah, and the new secretary general who is the Class A war criminal, at least for many inside the DP, Yoshihiko Noda, who called the election in 2012. Former uh, prime minister. Right. He was the prime minister. He challenged Mr. Abe saying, I'm going to, if you will p vote for these pieces of legislation and promise to reform the House of Representatives, I will call an election. And Mr. Abe said, sure. And it was a complete disaster for the Democratic Party. They got completely wiped out. They were called the Democratic Party of Japan at that time. The DPJ got mauled. And in fact, uh, the uh, sharp-tongued Makiko Tanaka called it the, uh, the suicide bomber 
election for her party. When she lost her seat, everybody lost their seats. It was a complete disaster. He's back. Yep. And it's understandable because she has been, a, um, he has been a mentor to, to Renhol and been a major support of her. But for a lot of the members of the DP, they have a lot of bad memories to sure. work out. And it's going to be interesting to see whether his priorities, which are rather limited and maybe not exactly what particularly the uh, socialist side of the DP likes, whether it's going to fly. Right. There are a couple of hot items that they want to discuss and hopefully make some progress on during this extraordinary diet session, including the supplementary budget, uh, some sort of discussion about what we want to do with the abdication of the current emperor, and the, the, the constitutional reform. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going to start immediately with discussions within the constitutional committee. That's a committee... That's, that's a top... It's one of the top issues. I mean, it's TPP and the constitutional revision. Yeah, the constitutional revision is something that, again, that doesn't necessarily have to happen right now. It has to happen for image purposes for Mr. Abe, mm -hmm. because he and his party, ever since that party has been founded, the LDP, have been demanding we need to revise the Constitution. Well, now, together with allies, they have two-thirds majorities in both houses of the Diet and are, for the first time in history, mm -hmm. in the position where they can amend the Constitution. If they don't open the committee meetings, then that shows they're insincere. So it's, it's simply in order to fulfill an obligation. Uh, uh, but whether they'll do anything. Party pledge. Yeah, it's a party pledge. Right. Whether they'll do anything on that, I doubt sincerely. Because we have this very strange business about a possible election in January. Well, who's been saying that for a long time? Yeah, but the thing is about that, it's become a lot more real ever since the LDP moved its party Congress from its usual January date. No, it's in March. It's gonna be March. And the only times that has ever happened before is when there's been an election in December and then they move the party Congress away for a few months. Mm -hmm. Here there's no plan for a December election and everyone's saying, okay, what's gonna happen? Okay, we have TPP. Okay, that's gonna need some kind of national referendum mm -hmm. to, to, to- The supplemental budget, we have the supplement easy pass. The supplemental budget is an easy pass, but it's got a lot of items in it that are sweetheart deals for both LDP and personal Abe supporters. That's right, and so who's your daddy? Who's your daddy is right. going to be a big theme in the, in the discussions of that supplementary budget. Sure, it's going to pass, but the opposition has a lot of juicy things to sink their teeth in to when they want to mm -hmm. in that supplementary budget. I really dislike it, and a lot of people uh, are, find it really just a complete sellout. Right. Um, and there are items in there that are going to become fodder. And he, uh, that should be put to the voters. And then the big kahuna is after the diet session ends, the December 15th summit in Nagato with Putin, mm -hmm. where Abe will be breaking ranks with the rest of the G7 uh, and breaking ranks with a lot of, you know, what the, with the Western alliance and inviting Putin to come to his country for a summit meeting. Right. It won't be in Tokyo. It'll be out in Nagato, in, in, out in, in, in Abe country. But nevertheless, it's going to be, you know, the first time since the Crimean uh, crisis that Putin will be traveling to something that is other than mm -hmm. an international event, a real bilateral summit. 
and Abe is expected to have some kind of deal worked out. No, he seems to be sending the signals and preparing the, the press and the population for that. For a, for a, for a final peace deal, mm -hmm. which most likely, given the positions that, I mean, Dr. Brown talked about this a few weeks ago on the show, what the, the, the Russian position is, is we don't have to deal anything, we don't have to give up any islands, and if we do, it's going to be the, the two the island solution, which gives up only 7% mm -hmm. of the land, right. which is a big, you know, it's a big piece of, piece of crow to, to swallow. If that's indeed the deal, then that has to be put Another to the referendum. Vote. So that, it kind of tees up this perfect storm of, aren't I your guy? Let's have another election and I'm going to take it to victory. And then in March, who's going to be the new prime minister? And who's going to be the prime minister all the way up until the 2020 Olympics? Because in March, when I say, look, I've led you to victory after victory right. after victory. And all this money that's falling out of the sky. And all this money is falling out of the sky. You folks should give me a chance right. to have a third term as party president and they will they will be on their knees. Well, or maybe they'll be standing up. That was a thing in, in, the, in the policy address. For the first time ever, members of, the, of Mr. Abe's party stood and gave him a standing ovation. And indeed, that became a problem because even the, the, policy, the uh, Diet Affairs Committee chairman said they should never have done that. Mm -hmm. And that's the LEDP side. The right. opposition, of course, went completely bonkers. Now, for that might, you know, for people outside of Japan, that might not be meaningful. But this psychophantic adoration nope. for the words of the leader, sure. that's new. One thing that we didn't talk about, uh, because it's not really a, a diet issue, it's more of a, policy, uh, a party issue, is the extension uh, allowing the prime ministers to sit for three consecutive terms. Yeah, that has ne never been done before. What, what has happened only one time was with Prime Minister Nakasone. At that time, the LDP had two two-year terms as the limit, so you can only serve as head of the party for four years. And if you're the head of the party, you are automatically the party's candidate for the right. prime ministership. If you wanted to continue, and he did, you have to have some kind of arrangement. And they made a, a one-year extension. Mm -hmm. They didn't change the rules. A rule change came later and allowed for three-year terms. So now you get two three-year terms, and Mr. Abe will be running up against mm -hmm. that in the year 2018. And if he leads them to a massive victory, or even a, a minor victory... We'll it, call it a massive victory. Well, well it depends. It, it depends on what kind of rhetoric you want to use in order to get people to, sure. to read your article. Uh -huh. you, you know, we had this same problem with the landslide in, in July, which, the was not a, which was not a landslide. Uh, whatever they call it, whatever he calls it, if they, he leads the party to another victory in, in elections, there is no way that the party can say mm -hmm. no. And he will then be the prime minister, most likely for another three sure. years. Right. Well, that's, that looks like what everything is teed up for. Get back, getting back to TPP, though, it looks like TPP cannot really be fully implemented unless the United States passes it as well. I mean, having the the Japanese pass it in the diet does not make it an integrated uh, a treaty for, for trade and investment for all the countries to enjoy. But in this case, we're looking at an administration, in the case of Mr. Abe, where trying is just as good as succeeding. Mm -hmm. uh, we, they've been trying to raise the inflation rate. They've been trying to raise the growth rate. And just because they tried, 
that should be good mm -hmm. enough. The same holds true with the TPP. We tried to get the TPP into place. We even voted it on the treaty, and we're all we've we've done all the the checking of the boxes. Uh, if the United States drops it and and the thing falls apart, well, we tried. Yeah, and and. Honestly, the, that's that's sufficient for what Mr. Abe's real goal is, which is to be in office as long as possible. Well, we, we both of us, I'm sure, get uh, peppered with questions from people from the United States on on TPP and Japan. But the Japanese also want to know: in this lame duck session, will President Obama pass TPP? Who knows? But the Japanese look like they will pass TPP in this diet session. Yeah, the, the only aspect of it that the opposition has to grab onto is the very slow implementation of the dropping of tariffs on light trucks mm -hmm. that the Japanese auto industry basically got sold out. And the Japanese auto industry is very important to Mr. Abe and, and should be you know, should be getting more out of this. But the the arguments and the arrangements have, with the United States led to a halfway okay solution in terms of agriculture and its tariffs in Japan, and absolutely no budging at all until the very end of the period in terms of auto tariffs. Right. Uh, it's 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 it, it it's a deal. But it's a it's it's a terrible deal mm -hmm. uh, in terms of of what Japan's auto industry and Japan's manufacturers should be getting out of it. Right. Well, that was the the comment that uh, former Prime Minister Noda was making when he was challenging the Prime Minister. You you know the TPP is not ripe for us. It's not ready to be you know passed into law. Yeah. The thing is, I, I would really be interested in seeing if the DP extends this concept of selling us out, selling right. us out, and takes it you know in the direction perhaps of the uh, summit with Putin, you're going to sell us out, aren't you? Mm -hmm. We have this n national position that the four islands are ours. They are ours under the 1875 treaty between Russia and Japan. There's no question about that. And yet you're going to, for your glory purposes, in order to get it through your agenda, you're going to sell us out. If they can sell that concept of this it being a sellout in administration, they might be able to get some kind of traction, mm -hmm. but it, January is so soon. Right. And, and clearly, this administration and, and the, the LDP is looking at Renho, at the positive numbers that came out of her election, and that a lot of people have a lot, very high expectations of her, and that she's going to pull in a lot of votes that otherwise would not be there if they just picked another guy, for example, Maihara. Right. That, that this is going to be a very, very tricky election if they run it. The sooner they get to it, the less time she has to make an impression, the less they, less traction the DP will have. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think it, it could most likely be a flash in the pan. I mean, she's got her own challenges just trying to cobble some sort of a coalition together in her own party, much less take on the LDP. I don't know. I would say that the party is pretty much resigned to what has happened. They're unhappy with the NODA selection, but there are other factions of the party. They're, they're not called factions. They're called groups, but they're factions uh, that have been served mm -hmm. in being given positions in the, in the secretariat. So balance has been maintained within the party. And they've the conservatives in the party don't like the close right, approach right. with the communists, but right. more and more the communists are getting on the side not of 
let's you know let's nationalize everything we need to have uh, we need to tax the the uh, wealthy to to extremes these traditional ideas that you associate with the communist party the communists were arguing very strongly against the part of the supplementary budget that's geared towards helping out the maglev construction mm -hmm. saying this is a violation of market principles sure. Market principles from the Communist Party? <laughs> yes. Mm. And there is something in that. There's right. something happening in terms of we have a, a massive socialization that's mm -hmm. taken place so far with the BOJ's involvement in the stock market, with the, the, the shift of the uh, pension fund, the GPIF, into massively into buying domestic securities of various sorts, mostly in, in, uh, shares. It's a, it, you can make an argument that mm -hmm. under the conservative LDP, we've had a socialism, a dream come true for socialism, that the corporations are now owned by yeah. the government. Yeah. And I think that if they, you know, if they position themselves right, the conservatives within the DPJ will be very happy mm. because they're market conservatives, right. because they're the kind of people that used to get along with Koizumi who came in with his market-based reforms, they're there in the party. And funny enough, the communists are there too. Right. So this controversy, this, this, this tearing apart of the party, I think that's just propaganda that's put out by, let's face it, the Yomiuri Shinbun. Okay. Before we wrap up this episode, Michael, I'd like to talk a little bit about abdication and how that might be handled in this current diet session. There seem to be two major lines of attack. One of them is from within the LDP, especially the, the advisors that are closest to the prime minister. They seem to be saying- Quick and dirty. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do a, a for this emperor- For only, this one, right. For this Heisei emperor only little tweak saying he can abdicate, but nobody else can. Right, which is counterintuitive because you would think the LDP would like something a little bit more long-term, something that really grabs the imperial household and the system so that they can, you know, begin to move this process forward. Yeah, that's, that, that, you know, they've been talking that way for a very long time, but talking and actually doing are two different things. On the other hand, there are the sticklers within the uh, LDP, who say, no, if we're going to change the law, it's Let's... a change in the law. Mm -hmm. It's the law. You don't just play around with things. And that's a two, three year but the, process. Not, right? no, I don't think it's going to be very long because it, it's really, there was a great deal of discussion about, oh, this is going to open the Pandora's box of right. having women emperors mm -hmm. and, and whoo, and all <laughs> kinds of people pretended to suddenly you know, be you know, fainting. Oh, I can't believe that they're going to talk about it. No, they went through that whole rigmarole. Right. But on the basis of just simply saying abdication is not forbidden, well, then it can be permitted. Mm -hmm. And we, we already have the, the regency, which is, assumes that the current emperor is not competent. This idea that we have to wait for him to become incompetent, right. that's, 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 that's asking for trouble. We can deal with this. Mm -hmm. We can have the process of abdication. We don't have to worry about any kind of, of, of abuse of the system. Mm -hmm. And I think that side's winning, actually. Right. Because for, for the longer term. For the longer term. Because 
the opposition will absolutely not stand for a workaround solution on this one. Mm -hmm. uh, they had to, to, to eat it in terms of the security legislation, which is just a workaround of the, of the Article 9 of the Constitution, that they would try to do a workaround of a law. It's not the Constitution here. Right. It's the, it's, it's the imperial, imperial household, household law, law right. which is easily amendable mm -hmm. and changeable. The Constitution, hard to change, admittedly. And a workaround is necessary. Here, if you're not willing to take on the job of legislating, why are you a legislator? Right. A lot of issues to be discussed in this current diet session. Please stay tuned. We're going to be reporting on these 60 days for this current diet session. A lot will happen. And then potentially a snap election in the new year. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today, I'm joined by Michael Chuchek and Dr. Nancy Snow. Welcome back. Thanks Thank a lot. You. We're talking today about women in politics and the emergence recently of three political figures who have kind of not come out of nowhere, but they are prominent. Renho Murata, Yuriko Koike, and Tomomi Inada. So, Dr. Snow, of these three, which one kind of captures your imagination? I suppose it would be Renho. I know Koike is getting a lot of attention internationally, but Renho intrigues me because, of course, she's trying to revitalize the DPJ right. and use her force of personality being someone who has the Taiwanese uh, citizenship, doesn't she still? And she goes by the one word Renho, right. and she's also very outspoken. She's willing to challenge the LDP. But the question remains, though, Tim, can you use the force and personality of a woman to really start a new movement around the DPJ. And she's got her work cut out for her. She's coming under scrutiny the way Koike is. Anytime these women are assertive or sort of speaking out of turn, which is not typical here in Japan, they, they become role models, but they also get a lot of pushback. And uh, I, I would hope that it would encourage other women to try to take on uh, stronger roles and, and sort of lift their heads up mm -hmm. and, and take risks. Uh, because I worry sometimes with all the media coverage that these women have that they are looked at as such an exception sure. as opposed to the promise of a rule here in Japanese right. society. I've said before, Japan can't really survive without the full force of gender equality. Right, well I think one of the characteristics that she holds uh, high is that she is a firebrand. I mean, uh, when the Democratic Party of Japan was in power, she was challenging the, the bureaucrats, you know, what's wrong with being number two? You know, why do we have to spend so much money to be number one? You remember that grilling that she gave to the bureaucrats? Yeah, it's, it's, it's haunted her ever since. Yeah, I, I like Renho very much. I follow her on Twitter. Uh, and this was long, for a long time. She, I, I used to call her Japan's mom because she, when she also is very much, she's a mother of twins hmm. and is very involved in their lives. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a really good mix of career woman and, and childbearing, which, which hmm. you don't see with Koike. Koike, unfortunately, was only briefly married in her 20s and, and later had surgery so that she now cannot bear children. So she has a different image of careerist woman mm -hmm. uh, entirely. Uh, where, and then we have Inada. And Inada is sort of a, a little bit different from both of them. She she's sure not is. a former television personality. Right. Uh, she's, she's a lawyer, which at the time she was taking the, the law exam was 
an extremely elite uh, group. There's a, it was something like 3% of, of those taking the bar exam passed it. So n someone who's already in a, an elite and therefore it's not really women as a whole that she represents, but actually the professional class. Mm -hmm. And she has gotten where she is by being as conservative as possible, mm -hmm. which is not the way Koike and not the, definitely not the way that Renho have risen up in right. the world. Right. What we'd like to say is that these three examples portray a growing uh, groundswell of, of women becoming involved in politics and being involved in, in upper echelons of, of running business. But in fact, that doesn't really necessarily seem to be the case. Well, another dimension here is that we're talking in the same week that we had the first debate between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And if you look at the transcript of that debate, I believe that Trump interrupted almost 30 times. And Don't you hate it when somebody does that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and also Hillary Clinton. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> It, it, she had to, uh, by the end of the debate, it had, it had just gone completely downhill. Uh, it was a reference to Rosie O'Donnell, which is going back to last fall mm -hmm. where he was calling her some name. And, uh, and then she mentions the uh, former Miss Universe who was called Miss Piggy. She was right. from Venezuela and she was referred to by Trump as Miss Piggy or Miss Housekeeping. She mm -hmm. had put on some weight. And so... Women who step into the, the public spotlight around politics, which is all about power and control, and uh, it, it's very masculine, um, they're going to get it, even mm -hmm. if they're at the level they are of Hillary get it. Clinton. Right. And sometimes I think, as a woman, that we need to get away from all this talk about, oh, the first woman, because mm -hmm. it... It, it should be just, this is a person who happens to be a woman. This is a person who happens to be somebody who doesn't have children. That should be right. almost an aside. And we should look at their experience. Are they qualified for the job? So I'm not just in favor of, oh, we need more women just filling spaces where men were before. No, we mm -hmm. need more qualified people overall. But I know in Japan what this represents symbolically. It's it's very big. Having lived here now the last four years, off and on, it's it's like an explosion of women mm -hmm. in politics. But when you look across the board, and Michael would probably know these statistics better than I do, if you look at the diet or if you look at governors of other prefectures, right. the numbers are still abysmal. Sure. So we're still paying a lot of lip service. It's a lot of this rhetorical kind of women's empowerment, and women are not uh, really, really there. And maybe it's the lack of training or it's a lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. um, but perhaps if they weren't just singled out as, oh, you're, you're the woman, you're the token woman, then maybe they would just kind of naturally over time gain experience where it would be the natural next step for them to move up in their careers or in some other venture, a nonprofit starting their own company. I think the women, um, Michael, you could uh, add to this. Wait, too. I'm not finished. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yes, but now you're being bossy. Did well, I say? Now that you're try. being bossy, and that's wrong. And and th yes. there, no, there's a clear uh, there. Ha there is a clear issue in terms of numbers, raw numbers, mm -hmm. uh, in the House of Reps, which had its last election in 2014. The number, the percentage of women is abysmal at nine percent. 
mm-hmm. a little bit over it, but not much. And that ranks Japan internationally way, way down around the 150s level in terms of proportionality of women inside the national legislature. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the House of Councillors, which just had its election this year, the proportions are much more equal. There, there's a, there's, there are 20% mm-hmm. of this, the seats are now occupied by women. And one should look forward to the next House of Reps election, maybe we'll be having it in January, where we'll have a significant improvement. Mm-hmm. In, in Japan, of course, is we have this problem, of course, of one dominant party so that there's not this chance for people to be out of power, for dynasties to be broken right. down, and for these long-term relationships at, to have be cut off so that there are openings for women to move in. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a, a really slow process. But since I've been here and you have been here, we have seen women move into all kinds of places. And yes, there's always a, it's a first woman kind right. of story. But now when I see women driving trains, mm-hmm. right? That didn't happen until just a few years ago. But now it's not a big deal. Does she have to stop and ask for directions? Uh, <laughs> I know that the men getting on board wonder about that. Yeah, no, but this, that's that's point taken. <laughs> uh, but the, the, so many barriers are falling. And basically, under Abe, what we've seen is a massive influx of women into all kinds of jobs, basically because of the uh, dearth of new labor, there's mm-hmm. just there's simply openings for them, and eventually that's going to push up into the political world. Let's hope gonna, so. But it's going to take some time. Sure. Well, uh, it's inescapable that this is a man's world. James Brown said it. Yeah. It's a man's world, and if you're going to play with the guys, you need to fight like the guys. You need to talk like the guys. And the three people that we're talking about now have great um, charisma. They have. They can fight with the guys, but I think they're held to even a different standard now. It's not that you can fight like the guys. I mean, you have to do even more than that to be successful. And you can do it backwards and in heels, as Ginger Rogers said, or if you're Koike, you can do it with heavier makeup than she should have on, <laughs> right? In reference to what, who was it? Shintaro Ishihara said that, yeah. But let me tell you, I'm teaching global affairs this fall at Kyoto University of Foreign Studies, to give a shout out to my university. There are 19 women, five young men. They were born in 1998. And what I've noticed, we've just had a few classes, is that the women have this confidence that has really surprised me. The the boys are in the back. They're kind of clustered together. Now, maybe I'll get them to, I'll draw them out more, but I wonder if maybe my being a female professor makes Mm -hmm. a difference to them. And of course I'm coming from another country, but I do think there will be this this wave in the future. Maybe it'll be 10 years, 20 years from now. And, And these are women that I could see a few of them taking on these higher profile roles. And uh, there was a book uh, called The Confidence Code. I I went to a session at the uh, Japanese embassy, actually, in Washington just a few weeks ago. And uh, Nobuko Sasai, the wife of the Japanese ambassador to the U.S., had a session for women about looking at the difference in confidence. Mm -hmm. And what has happened traditionally, my generation, is that women would not see themselves, say, 
in Congress or the Diet. And men, if asked, would say, yeah, that's an option for me. So men just naturally... Aspire to a leadership or a sure, kind of commanding they, position. They wouldn't even think as often about qualification, but it, was, it looked like, as you said, the men's club. Right. So naturally. And women still feel like, I'm not going to be accepted, or mm-hmm. I will speak out of turn and I'll be put down. So you do have to have thick skin. But if the numbers will increase, if those young women I have in the university classroom, if they go out in a larger number, mm-hmm. it'll become just natural to see that that split. It may not be 50-50, but it should certainly get beyond single digits. Right. Well, I think the trials and tribulations of aspiring to leadership, I mean, it's a hard battle. And probably the the women who aspire to that, they're getting knocked around maybe a little bit more just because. Yeah, I mean, I hate the thought of ever being in politics. I like to be on the outside. So you you don't necessarily have to run for office. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to aspire to that level. It could be something like speaking out or speaking up more, right. making sure that you can negotiate that first job offer mm-hmm. better. Right. So... Well, in this case, you, you bring up the matter of education. The education that at least Denho and uh, Koike have had are, are qu- quite unusual. Koike is a graduate of Cairo University, who, who thus is not part of the normal school here. Denho has took classes in Beijing. So they had a different background. And certainly with, in the case of uh, Inada Tomomi Inada, uh, she has, you know, I mean, she's a lawyer, so she's gone through the law. The education is for women. Mm-hmm. And in this case of these three women, crucial for them getting that crowbar in their hands to break open the door right. so that they can mm-hmm. get inside. Mm-hmm. And that, as you say, as it, and I have, I have something similar in some of my classes where there is a, a very gendered D- difference in confidence or expressed confidence, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not the direction one would assume. Mm-hmm. We have to also make sure that we 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 uh, we do admit that have the part of this narrative that we're talking about fits in with a larger narrative that is very prevalent in Western or non-Japanese media that Japan is a highly sexist society. So that the the rise of these three women is going against the grain. Mm-hmm. That's very attractive for people who are writing, maybe some maybe right. that maybe for their readers or listeners, but it is a narrative. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily a reflection entirely of the situation on the ground here, which is uh, admittedly there is a sexism, but it's being transformed so quickly, mm-hmm. at least during the time that, right. that Mr. Langley and I have been here. Well, I think that's what has led to what I would call a feminization of international exchange, of a lot more women going abroad. Sure. Or I've worked with the Tomodachi Initiative the, from the U.S. Embassy, where they, ha- they offer study abroad. And it skews more toward women. Sure. I mean, because for the guys, they have to check out of society in order to do that. And for the girls, it's probably one of the several options that they have. It's their socialization, in fact. Whereas for the men, it is is the contrary direction, at least in terms of corporate life. Mm -hmm. So that we're seeing uh, certainly uh, that the parts of society that can be internationalized Mm -hmm. are the ones that are being... Most are most accessible 
for women. In the case of television, the fact that they have to have two, one female anchor and one male right. anchor is always going to make sure that there's a 50-50, right. which no other industry, I think, has an established mm-hmm. rule for. Mm. But the thing that I find so remarkable about these three individuals, and, and the reason why they're focused on our, our episode now, is that the challenges that they are facing or the challenges that they are inviting, for example, with uh, the governor of Tokyo, she's inviting controversy. She's going after it, you know, really with a, a, an incredible amount of vigor and foresight that even a guy in that position would probably be somewhat shy of, of, of challenging. And, and the same is, is true with Renho or with uh, in, Inada, I mean, Minister of Defense. When she doesn't really know very much about defense, at least that we know of. Right. That when we don't know when she became suddenly a policy wonk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Abe threw her into that position, which is not outside of her bailiwick. Whether she's going to sink or swim, well, we'll have to see. Right, right. I think part of the controversy, though, that invites this groundswell of support. In mm-hmm. the case of Koike, we went to a rally where she spoke right, right before she had her big win. And I looked around in the crowd, and there were some very excited women in that sure. crowd. Mm-hmm. So if you show, look at me taking on the boys' club, mm-hmm. uh, that attracts international attention. But also domestically, it's sort of like when my Japanese female friends say, "Glad you're here." Yeah. But, but I don't, you know, you don't need more assertive Western women. You need mm-hmm. more. Japanese women saying, hey, I could see myself doing that someday. So she is a trailblazer. But the controversy is that lifting up Mm -hmm. of support because she knows there's going to be a pushback. She's There are detractors, right? You know, and it's a two-edged sword because what if they fail? So, for example, there are three women in the 20-member cabinet of the Abe administration now. There were at one time five. You remember when that happened? And then two of them immediately fell into scandal and it just it casts a, a pall over you know other women coming in he's got three now uh, things seem to be even keel and well i was just going to add as far as failure for women maybe it is harder but look at donald trump running again for president i mean he won the nomination he's failed over and over at business and he's risen up again so when men fail repeatedly it's sort of like, well, that was just a bad business deal. Sure. But with women, it's, it's almost like, okay, we're giving you this, maybe with Inada, we're giving you this, we're throwing you into the fire and don't blow it. And they have blown it before, but we shouldn't give women that different standard mm-hmm. and say, look, you were you were so bad, we're not going to have another woman there. The problem is the lack of experience. So sure. often they're just these they can be so easily scapegoated mm-hmm. because they're just not prepared for that and there's no uh, support for right. them. They and feel pretty much and alone. The, the crucible so. that they're in is just surrounded by guys, mm-hmm. right? Well, it's interesting to watch powerful women in Japanese politics beginning to emerge. A lot more is coming down the path. Stay tuned, we're gonna to continue to follow this. <laughs> 